0: You're listening to the On The Rise podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs as we make our way to the top. Here is your host, known as the property shark, Mr. John Lee.
1: What's up, everyone? John Lee here, also known as the Property Shark, and welcome back to another episode of the On the Rise podcast. Joining us today is Dr. Tej Dalwal. He's actually the owner and no, optometrist of Image Optometry at Kingsway. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me, John. Uh, I'm very excited to to be on your podcast here. Uh... See, you have quite a quite a huge social media following, so uh, uh, some guaranteed listeners coming in. <laughs> Not every up and coming. I mean, you're 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 an established pod. Uh, you know, I have a podcast myself, and I know in the early stages, you always uh, are looking for for traction and to enter a market. And you seem to be thriving. So, congratulations for all your success, um, and something to look forward to.
1: Really, really appreciate it um and I love to talk about your podcast too but before we do that um could you give our listeners a quick introduction about yourself for people that don't know about you
0: yeah sure uh, my name is Tej Dollywell. I'm an optometrist uh, with image optometry my my practice that I own a franchise of is uh the image optometry on Kingsway um yeah I've been in, in practice since 2014 um, I'm 32 years old um trying to make a difference in this world in any way possible uh know I've been through quite a few life experiences in my life that have reshaped the way I think about things uh, particularly a near-death experience that I had um, in 2014 and you know my mindset now uh, you know after having gone through that is to make a difference to to help people um, more so than I originally envisioned as becoming a doctor Um, because when you become a doctor you obviously have an internal you know sense of care for others and want to help others And, and that was always there but when you almost lose your life, it starts to become more of a focus that listen, like it's, it's enough, you know, no more games. Like let's live your life now. You know, like I go out there and actually do stuff and, and make a difference physically instead of just mentally. And, and, uh, and so that's what I, that's where I'm at now. I'm I'm in practice. I have a podcast for for Canucks, um, you know, um, and other than that, I have a baby girl at home. She's 13 months, uh, a beautiful wife and a family. And so, uh, yeah, just trying to live my life here under, under COVID-19. The new life that we're all living so <laughs> that's so true and it's it's definitely an interesting time
1: and i'm curious to see kind of how you're adjusting to covid and and how that's kind of impacted your practice and your daily life
0: well for my practice uh we did shut down for a few weeks um in the beginning uh here in bc they have, there was a quarantine recommendation uh um, now we do qualify as an essential service, but it was at a time where it was very important that we flatten the curve. Um, and looking back now, you know, you can, you know, all BC, British Columbians can be really, really proud of themselves for, for taking, you know, the necessary steps and educating themselves and informing themselves of, of the importance of flattening the curve. And we've essentially flattened the curve. So, um, you know, kudos to everybody who did their part, staying home um, and uh, you know, supporting the frontline workers. But after the two-week period initially, I reopened up because optometry is an essential service. Uh, there are a lot of people out there that are in dire situations when it comes to their eyes. Um, if you don't have the functional use and luxury of having eyes or vision, you're kind of SOL. You know, you, you're stuck in, in your situation at home, can't really see much. So then what can you do in life if you can't see, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, a lot of people had broken glasses, lost glasses, uh, just regular vision issues, um, ocular migraines. Um, I know we want to get into to the reasons why quarantine, it's even more important to take care of your eyes because we're, we're so close to our phones and our computers and in an indoor environment, our world has shrunk right before our own eyes. And, and so with that comes some side effects and things to look out for, but in general, you know, vision care is always going to be essential. Um, and I felt the need that I needed to open up to, so I could better serve the public. Uh, a lot of clinics, the majority of clinics out there are not open. Um, Mm. They're just doing telemedicine phone calls. Um, And so, you know, it's one of those situations where you have to make a choice whether to put yourself at risk under, you know, protective measures and serve the public or protect yourself at home and your family. And I don't blame anybody for making either or making that choice to, 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 look out for their family and themselves. If you have an immunocompromised, uh, members of your family at home or young kids you uh, you want to you want to protect them um, but that's the choice I made and we opened up and we're seeing we're seeing enough patients to feel satisfied with that and uh, you know knowing that we're helping people is all the difference right so
1: absolutely I think that's wow that's such a difficult decision to make because again with yourself I mean you have family you have a young daughter you have a wife and again your occupation is like like do I go help people or do I And was it hard for you to kind of make that decision
0: it, it didn't come easy um but I think being in BC and, and Vancouver uh, especially um we you can notice that people were obeying social distancing and um I know I know we see images of people at the parks and what but I have I have different ideas of of you know, that I think if you're in a small group and you're away from other groups and you're not mingling, I think you're still social distancing. Mm. Uh, you know, you asked how how I dealt with, with COVID, uh, you know, from a personal perspective, made sure that we went out, you know, our family went out for walks and got fresh air every day. Uh, it's extremely important to do that for not only your, your mental health, but, uh, you know, your emotional uh, health and, and physical health as well. And, and uh, just to keep yourself well-rounded, um, if you're stuck indoors all day, you're really... You know, especially as an extrovert, um, even introverts need the luxury, of the freedoms to do stuff. But it's just when you're stuck indoors, it, it's, it's a dehumanizing measure. Mm. Uh, you know, we are meant to connect with others as humans, and, and that involves seeing people, seeing your friends, your family out and about. You know, my daughter had her birthday during quarantine, nobody could celebrate with her, her birthday. Her very first birthday, she couldn't have any family over,
1: oh, no! Her immediate
0: family only. But what we ended up doing was we called Canucks Finn and, and he drove by. Um, happy birthday music and everything down the block. And so she, she's got some memories. So there are ways to work around it. But That's the important amazing. thing, being, going back to what I was saying, like when you look at all these pictures of people at the beaches and the parks and on one side, everybody's like, what are you guys doing? You know, you're not social distancing, but they're looking at the whole picture look at the individual pockets. What are those families doing? If they're protecting themselves and maintaining social distance, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, and I think as long as people obey those rules, it's important to get outside. And so, uh, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at here. Long, long answer there. Sorry, buddy, but I like to
1: talk. (laughs) No, absolutely. No. And and I remember seeing that, that picture, that would be, that would be a really cool memory to look back on for your daughter that was really awesome i saw that that'd be so cool um and and also yeah i think you're right i mean going out it's it's one of the things that we almost take for granted when things are like normal but but now you know with quarantine and stuff people are are, i guess encouraged to stay at home but then it's also equally as important to go out but just as long as you take your safety measures in place and you know if you go out to nature and stuff like yeah. For a walk at the park, if you still maintain your distance or, you know, you're cautious about where you
0: are in the proximity of others, like, I don't think that would be a big, big issue. That's exactly it. Dr. Bonnie Henry, she came out and said it as a part of the, you know, phase one of reintegrating society back to normal. She's talking about certain certain things that are, you know, that people should highlight is that you're, you're much safer outdoors walking down the street from, you know, somebody else in terms of the ability to catch the virus you're much safer in that outdoor environment than you are in an indoor environment mm. where the virus can circulate in the air and, and, and stay trapped in a stagnant air and so um that's the danger of staying indoors uh anywhere but she mentioned specifically like it's 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 fine to go out with your family for walks or to the you know nature to see nature like you mentioned on hikes it's it's, it's actually okay from dr bonnie henry and so I think people should listen to that and, and really understand what she's trying to say is it's not just okay, but it is safe and it's, it's going to help people. Like they're, where everybody, like I've talked to, a lot of people feel trapped. They feel like trapped and I, I speak to them and they say, yeah, we're not supposed to go outside and people are going for walks and they're, like, they're not supposed to do that. And then I, I always tell them, no, no, actually you can, you can do that. You should go for a walk. And, and then I talked to them a couple weeks later they're like yeah you know we started going for walks we're family, our family is still safe we're healthy and, I, and and they feel normal again you know just by going outside so uh, it's important it's so important that uh, we, we get that fresh air uh, mind body and soul you know we, we need it
1: absolutely I can see you're outdoors right now so I am outdoors I'm <laughs> going to stay awesome. as, as
0: out in the sun as long as it's up and, and or, or, or the wife comes yelling at me so I'm going <laughs> to
1: <laughs> <laughs> and Ted, I, I wanna I wanna talk about um, you know, your your upbringing and your past a little bit, you know, just to rewind back. Um, how did you get into optometry and uh where did that passion start?
0: Uh well it didn't work out for me in sports. Uh I was playing hockey, um, you know, I was always an honor roll student. Uh but you know I was very athletic I played hockey baseball soccer rugby wow. you know I was a lifeguard uh you know uh, played volleyball in high school the one, one sport I didn't really play was basketball but uh yeah, cuz I was a little too rough I would always body body check the guys there. <laughs> like, No, there you can't do that in basketball and I'm like why not <laughs> I'm supposed to let him walk into the lane and no, so um but yeah like I just was very active and I, and I thought my, my 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 hockey dreams would would play out, and I, you know, I was was playing high level rep, and uh, mm. in midget. I got an invite to to BCHL the tryouts, um, but that summer I got injured. Uh, my MCL, I tore it, you know, twice that summer, and then I tore it a third time later. And it basically, you know, with hockey or any sports, um, not saying I had a, a shot to make the team or to advance myself. I always believed I did, but in the reality, is it's a tough competition, and if you if you miss that window you're you're shit out of luck you know they it's it's based on age groups and, and age cohorts and so if you miss that the chance to climb with the rest of your peers and you're one year behind and now there's the next next class and they don't care about you as much and so I kind of everything athletically got pushed aside and I had to focus on my education and when I was 17 18 uh, I started a uh, job shadowing my optometrist um Dr. Powell, I played hockey with his sons uh, mm. and And so my family knew him. Uh, He was our optometrist. I got to know him. I I shadowed him at work and I just started talking to him. And and that's where optometry and healthcare came to the the forefront of my mind. Uh, Just his spirits. He was always always cheerful, really intelligent, happy guy. And and he was, you know, very activist himself. And his patients all loved him. And he had a really good rapport. It was very family-based practice. And I saw that and I, and I felt like this was something I could do. I could see myself doing in my career. Uh, he was still actively involved in his son's, uh, you know, with coaching or, you know, management, just being at the rink. Because optometry is one of those jobs where you don't have to take it home. Uh, it's nine to five or you go home and, and you, you can live a life. And, and so I like that aspect of optometry as opposed to like med school, like, you know, becoming a GP or, um, you know, because I wrote my MCAT and I passed my MCAT and I chose not to pursue med school. Wow because I wanted that luxury, that freedom uh, to have a job and also a life where I envisioned being involved with my kids, coaching them, uh, raising them as much as possible. And I know, I'm not saying GPs don't do this. I don't want to upset anybody who's listening that is a GP. I have so much respect, utmost respect for all GPs out there. But I know the path to become a GP is much longer and the lifestyle of a GP is much harder and that is why they earn much more income, and they they deserve it, but that wasn't what I wanted to do, I wanted to, to help people, you know, in healthcare care, and, and take care of people, their eyes, and, and, and also, you know, you, you do a little bit of life coaching as a doctor, patients, you know, all sorts come, come through your practice, They, you never know what kind of encounter you're going to have, some people like to go above and beyond, I'm that type of person, I'm, you know, the scope of practice is what you you're, you're supposed to do for your job, but there's a human aspect of of care and any, any aspect of healthcare or physical care or whatever it is, any type of care, there's a human aspect. If you connect with your patients, they look up to you and you can really make a difference in their lives if they're struggling or so they need someone to talk to. They, because a doctor is behind a privacy wall, they feel more comfortable sometimes sharing information about their lives. And if you just listen, if you just lend an ear, people open up in ways that maybe they can't in their life and, now, all of a sudden, you have an avenue to help people and i don't go i don't go into avenues where i don't have expertise but if I can through my own experience or just simply listen mm. to someone sometimes that's all it takes is just just to listen to them but if you can help them in any way, I like to do that too and so i felt i found a niche with that and I observed that with dr powell too he would he would sometimes the exam would be over and he would just sit there with a the patient and just shoot the crap and, or have a discussion about their family, talk about the kids. And he really, he really showed me a side of, of optometry that I didn't know existed. And, uh, you know, every experience that I had at the doctor never was that personal. And so I, that's where I knew it was a match made in heaven for me. And I basically, my whole career, I went through bachelor of science um, at SFU, graduated four years. And I was already looking forward to optometry school in California. Um, because I, I didn't want to go anywhere but the sun. Uh, <laughs> there's one school in, uh, in Canada, Waterloo, and, uh, you know, I'm not going out east for that. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was going to, to L.A. and uh, no regrets. Uh, you know, I enjoyed my time out there. Uh, had a, resi- a rotation in San Diego, uh, Central Cali, Napomo, California, Seattle, California, where I had my near-death experience. And uh, then I went back home here with image optometry where I ended up working. So that's, that's kind of the career path that I took there, but.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. And I I want to dive into a little bit of, of kind of each chapter of your life. Um, But before we do that, when you're sixteen, seventeen, 16, 17, and you have your goals so focused on being a pro athlete and you've worked so hard to practice, you know, to, to spend so much time and hour and energy to, to really hone your craft. And all of a sudden, because of these uh, injuries, you're unable to, to proceed and, and pursue that dream. How were you able to pick yourself up when you were 16, 17? Like, it, it's devastating, you
0: know, at that age. It, if hockey was my sole focus in life and I didn't do anything else, you're right. I'd be devastated. Luckily I was so heavily involved with with many different things activities volunteering uh, I was coaching hockey as well refing hockey I was playing different sports uh, I was involved in the community in my temple uh, um, and just uh you know connected to to different different programs uh, volunteering with Coast Mental Health uh, so I was doing a lot of different things that kept me busy. Um, that's about it. If I didn't have anything else to keep me busy, yeah, I'd be, probably be, you know struggling to deal with the circumstances at home but for me at that age you know I had a lot of energy I was able to refocus my life uh, relatively quickly it was disappointing to deal with an injury that I did deal with mm. I know I I, I lost about 33 percent 30 to 40 percent of my cartilage in my right knee and and uh you know I'm prone to arthritis in the future they gave me a choice whether to keep playing as hard as you were or just cut back and and, and stop and obviously the choice was pretty easy for me uh so um yeah i mean i'm lucky in that regard a lot of people who, who ha- are are more i, I would i don't want to say i wasn't dedicated but who are more explicitly dedicated to like hockey or to a sport or that would be devastating if if what happened to me happened to them but in my in my uh life it was a little bit different yeah
1: that's, that's great. And I think that the, the thing there is to, to find other hobbies or, or other passions and to keep yourself busy and just kind of keep moving forward and trekking along until the next thing comes up or the next yeah. opportunity. And then, then you're onto, on to, on, on to that route.
0: Also to grow your mind. I mean, you, I know sports these days, particularly sports, um, it's more of a focused Career path now, you have to kind of give it your all. But if if that is not for you, it's important that you exercise the, the you know, just grow your your own capacity for knowledge, and exercise your different avenues that you can. And you know whether it's volunteering or work experience or or any type of job that you hold, um, put yourself in different situations. It's very important in life to grow. Um, but also to evolve and uh, and and, and to, to mature and to learn and to grow wisdom as well and and uh, you know gain insights onto different aspects of of lives that maybe you don't you're not privy to that knowledge that what what it takes to work in this industry or that industry and then you gain those insights and then it it helps to build a more well-rounded approach to life for you I think uh, and it helps in in my career as a doctor because you know, if I didn't, if I wasn't so involved in in different areas uh, at a young age, I may not understand the livelihoods or the mindset or the approach that people have to to life or to their lives. And and so it gives me a better sense of that uh, judgment capacity. uh, um, And I think it's important. Yeah, very important to to put yourself out there in awkward situations. You know, you have to do it. Otherwise, you're going to Awkward for the rest of your life if you if you deal with it at an early age, you know it's it's kind of like they say with 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 dating. Uh, If you don't, you know, put yourself out there in those awkward positions or you know conversations with girls in the beginning and 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 gain the confidence, you're gonna struggle. But if you do it early on, you realize that hey, it's okay to to mess up or it's okay to, you know, you didn't you didn't you got rejected by this one or that one, and then you start building up a a, you know more of confidence. Uh, that the next time it comes around, the same situation arises. You know exactly what to do, and if it doesn't work out, so be it. Another another instance will you know occur down the road. So it's uh, it's important, I think, to gain that experience.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> that, that's really awesome. And uh, when you went to California, or, or just to go into optometry school, uh, what was kind of uh, the the biggest challenge that that you dealt with? during that time.
0: Yep. I think honestly, just in the beginning, it was just, uh, you know, being able to focus on school because you're out on your own. Uh, it's fun being out on your own, you know, parents and, and student loans are helping out with fun. So you, you know, you're able to get sidetracked really easy if you mm-hmm. allow yourself to be and I saw some people who allowed themselves to get sidetracked. Um, may have had the best, you know, undergrad GPA and, and a great resume, but come to school and they're on their own. And you know, they start going out on the weekends and and not studying as hard as they should. And they lose sight of the the sole purpose of their their existence out there in optometry school. And so, as long as I think that was the it wasn't it wasn't extremely challenging for me because I was really dedicated to becoming. The best optometry professional and I, that's why i graduated with dean's Deansless honors right so um, for me it was it was it was easy but it was still a bit of a challenge to make sure that i didn't you know i had to do some project on a friday night and everybody's going out i said hey look i can't go out this weekend i'll, I'll, I'll join you you know tomorrow or next weekend or it's fine but i was okay with that decision a lot of people want to feel connected to the in crowd or To the popular crowd or you know the party whatever it is different different excuses maybe there's a board game going on and you want to play or dungeons and dragons or you know different different hobbies that people have they you gotta you gotta be able to focus on what's most important first before you let yourself enjoy the the fruits of your labors right so one of the the fun aspect of life right so
1: that's important and and you know you have to be disciplined because once you're off track you know, before you know it, it's like, oh, you're you're really off track, and now it's like yeah. you gotta. You derailed. <laughs> yeah, you've derailed a different. You're heading in a different direction. <laughs> yeah, you're going in a different direction. <laughs> what does that train do? Not on the water. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for for you, did you always want to come back to Vancouver? I mean, it's so tempting to just stay there. I mean, it's so
0: nice there. You did oh, nothing like home. Come on re- now. Really, really. Home, uh, Canada. <laughs> this is one of the greatest countries in the world. Um, you know, I, I will say this: San Diego is one of the greatest cities in the world. Uh, if there's any other city I'd live in, it's San Diego, uh, yeah. without a doubt. But uh, not LA. LA, it's a different dynamic. It's a bit more spread out, and the city is you know, lots of smog, and uh, you know, it's the neighborhoods are, are not as safe at night. and, and And uh, even out in Pomona, where I was staying uh, it was a little sketchy in the in the night you know so uh in Canada, just the people that we have here and the cultures and and you know our, our ability to you know not like not be so like ignorant I think yeah. is the, is the best way to describe it. We're not very ignorant as people and, and in America, there's a different type of ignorance, and i'm not Americans are Americans, you know if we didn't have them we wouldn't be free here in Canada too. Like, let's be honest. I mean, the war of 19, uh, 1912, sure. Yeah, we won, but uh, it's all the American revolution that led to uh, you know society being what it is today. So Western civilization. So we, we owe it to them to an extent, but through that, they've gained such an arrogance and ignorance that it plays out before our own eyes right now with the COVID situation mm. and the Republicans and the Democrats and the far left and the far right, bunch of idiots everywhere. Mm. i'm really happy that i'm here in canada let's just let's just say that so uh, it was an easy decision to come back home breathe the fresh air of beautiful bc and you know we have one of the best backdrops in the whole world if you ever have a chance to go out on the waters uh you know broad inlet uh you know by wreck beach whatever it is uh it's beautiful just to just drive the scenic you know the views of the mountains while you're on the water go ahead do that but i mean you can do that while hiking too it's just there's an endless amount of life that can occur here in bc and vancouver and it was an easy decision for me to come home
1: i love it i mean we're we're called beautiful british columbia for a reason right (laughs) um and and so okay well talk to me a little bit about um your near-death experience because i'm curious to hear about that and how it
0: shifted you after okay yeah time for the long story I'll try to keep it short okay uh, you know I've I've, um, I've told this story a few times now and uh, every time I tell it it takes me back to this this place uh, where I don't like to I don't like to go but I know it's important to be able to talk about it uh, basically uh, I was on my my second last rotation out in Seattle Washington living in the University district um, and uh, you know I the work schedule for me was Tuesday to Saturday. So it was a Saturday afternoon. I came home, um, got a call from my mom. She was like, Hey, tomorrow, you know, Sunday is an important Sikh holiday. So you should, uh, you should go to the temple. That's, uh, you know, near where I lived. And, and I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go tomorrow. That's fine. That Saturday night, you know, that was the last time I talked to my family, um, for about a 36 hour period, which is, you know, I'll get, get to why that was important, but you know, there was no communication for 36 hours after that. Um, but um that night i went out to a different bar so there's a bar in my apartment building that i like to go on saturday after my shift work week was over I you know go to the bar have a drink familiar faces of people in that building you know as you do and then you you know that's that's your weekend i uh, didn't really do too much partying in seattle you know i was focused on school and i didn't know too many people so i kind of kept to myself that, that that day i went to a different pub and i'm i'm very certain i picked up this bug from that pub, and when I was in the hospital, I'll get to how I got to the hospital. But the doctors were saying there were two or three other cases of something similar that would happen to me. And uh, so after that night, I went back to my apartment, back to my my room, and, and um, I passed out. That's the last thing I remember. So it was food to me, but, but essentially, what happened was I picked up a bug in that bar, and it caused a, an enteroclement meningioencephalitis, which is basically inflammation of your meninges in your brain and and your spinal cord. And the meninges is a layer of tissue that protects your spinal cord fluid. So it was inflamed. My central nervous system was fighting a virus. Luckily for me, it was an enterovirus, which is not as strong as some of the viruses out there that can cause a severe meningitis or a bacterial uh, you know, a bug that could cause severe meningitis or encephalitis. Not that mine wasn't severe because I could—I still almost died. But it caused this inflammation that my body was trying to fight off. And, and with that action of your body trying to fight this spinal cord or central nervous system virus off, you're incapacitated. And that's why my memory is jogged. I don't remember anything that happened. I have a flashback of me waking up that night vomiting. Like in my bed, and then another flash the next morning, vomiting and answering a phone call. Now, 36 hour period I was talking about, I started, you know, vomiting and, and getting sick that Saturday night. Now it's Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, now it's Sunday evening. Wow. And, and my parents are trying to call me, text me, the family's trying to get a hold of me. Nobody can get a hold of me. It's my sister who, who actually made the decision. She, she said, listen, mom and dad, you guys got to go drive down there. Something is wrong. So they decided to drive down to Seattle from Vancouver. My brother, he's like, TJ's probably just hung over drunk or something. Like, he's fine. My sister made them drive down, and her decision to do that is basically what saved my life. My parents drove down to Seattle. They get to my apartment building. It's now like 2 a.m on on monday morning so uh 2 a.m the door's locked the number on the building is is the wrong number so they can't even get in so they're sitting there my sister's been calling me the whole time trying to get a hold of me finally somebody exits the building so now they get into the lobby and they still need to get up the elevator you need a pass to use the elevator so they're still stuck in the lobby so they can't actually help me yet they still don't know what's wrong they don't know that i'm sick or anything they're just trying to get to my apartment to see what if i'm there Mm. my sister's calling nonstop. my phone is still and like it's still ringing because before i passed out on that saturday night i plugged it into the charger so it was i'm lucky i did that suddenly this is one of those flashes i remember i remember answering the call but i don't remember the conversation or what happened after that and my sister told me i finally answered the phone call and she's like tj tj what are you where are you we've been trying to get a hold of you all this time like where are you mom and dad are downstairs in the lobby and then she told me that i told her that. What are you talking about? I'm back home in Vancouver. I'm like, I'm I'm upstairs sleeping. And she's like, No, no, no. You're in Seattle. Mom and Dad are down in the lobby. You need to go down there to, to get to get to them. So she guides me through the elevator, guides me over the phone, and down to the lobby. My mom said to me, the image of me in that elevator, like when, when the doors open, seeing how ghastly white I was, it haunts her to this day. And I basically collapsed in her arms. And I don't remember any of this. They filled me in. They went up quickly to my apartment, got my passport, care card. They saw the entire apartment was full of vomit. Everywhere. Vomit wow. everywhere. They took me to the hospital right away. Emergency. Hooked me up on IVs. They did a spinal tap. I was in an induced, They induced a coma because I was so drained of fluids. They told me basically I was a couple hours away from complete organ failure and death because of how dehydrated I was from vomiting and the pneumonia that occurred as well. Like if I didn't get there when I got there, that would be it for me. And yeah, like four days later, I woke wake up from this induced coma and I'm just, I had no idea what was going on and they fill me in and I'm, you know, piecing it back together and start to recover, you know, walking step by step. They realized that, yeah, you know, luckily I, I was able to fight it off with their help with the fluids, with the, antibiotics they rushed through my system everything helped but that was it man like you go through something like that you you look at life differently uh no matter who you are uh, it's almost impossible to not cherish life a bit more and and to think of your life as a gift a bit more um and that's exactly what i do now i it comes at a cost sometimes I, i lack a little bit of emotional cognizance sometimes and you know, I, I'm, I'm more of a big picture guy now than I ever was before. And the little things don't bug me as much. Um, and I'm not saying the little things are, aren't important because they are. And, and that's where I'm trying to find a new balance in life. But yeah, it, it I'll tell you man, it. It's no pun intended. It's an eye opening experience. And, uh, you know, one that will stick with me for the rest of my life, but it will continue to teach me uh, and guide me, I think too. So, uh, try to make it short buddy that's that's a long story it's only what I know to tell it.
1: that's powerful wow that's
0: crazy hey just that
1: one decision to go to another pub other than the one that you were used to going yeah. and that could lead to these turn of events that that but because of that you know you you have a new perspective on life and now you are living every day to the fullest And and uh, and I feel that I feel that energy. And and was that part of the drive behind you opening up uh, your own
0: practice? Did that, or did you always want to do that? That was always uh, part of my plan as an optometry student. But um, I think the way I run my practice—excuse me, little gaps there—the way the way I run my practice has changed a little a bit to my new focus in life and you know i was talking about going above and beyond uh, the scope of practice a little bit uh, that that all comes into play as well you 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 suddenly have more of a desire to make a difference um you know i'll tell you if you if you help somebody out and 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 it really makes a difference for them they feel it and you feel it and you feel good about it and Mm. you need to have a heart to feel it but if you have a heart you know exactly what i'm talking about you basically live off the knowledge that you made somebody else's life better. It, it, it drives you to do more and it, and you feel empowered by it to the point where you don't want to stop doing it. You want to keep helping more, more people. You want to inspire others. You want to lead by example. And, and I'm not infallible. I, I make mistakes and I, uh, you know, I still, I'm a very edgy person. I'm a strong, uh, I'm very strongly opinionated and I can be abrasive at times, and I'm still learning in life. I'm still growing. These are things I'm aware of, though. Sometimes people have a hard time understanding what the image that they have and what they project, you know, outwards, and it, it, it doesn't allow them to grow. But I'm fully aware of the fact that I can be these things, and it helps me to to know that if I'm aware of it, I can I can help myself, you know, grow past that or mature past it. But it's also an important part of your drive is to have those qualities. I don't know if you're watching the last dance right now, but Michael Jordan talks about it. You know, you you can't, if if you're going to be a nice, nice person, like I'm not, I'm just paraphrasing the quote, but you can't win if you're nice. is basically what he's saying. Mm. You know, you have to have a bit of a edge to your game. uh, And yeah, so it's, it's important to understand what you're doing and, what you're projecting, but it's also important to recognize that if you have ambitions and you have drive in life to succeed or to be the best at anything you want to be, then it's not going to be a nice path. You're going to have to get your hands dirty. And sometimes you might have to get a little more dirty than you wish. Um, but as long as your, your, your heart is clean and your soul and your mind is clean, then you can live with those uh, decisions. Right. But that's
1: amazing. And, and from, your point of view, um, especially during a time like this where, you know, people are kind of feel trapped or, or, or indoor more often, uh, their world has shrunk to the size of their screen. Uh, oh, yeah. how can people take care of their eyes properly during a time like this and during a time that's not like this as well?
0: Yeah I mean that's a great question and I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked me that because uh, it, right now uh as you, as you mentioned like the world of everybody is shrinking to the 6 feet in front of our faces or the room their computer the phone the family's so much smaller when we're indoors and you're not outdoors all the time or you're not you know talking to your neighbors outside or interacting with people at a park or a bar or a beach, whatever it is, you're not, we're in, in, in this indoor environment and that changes the way our information that we're processing is now so close to us that over time, and these effects occur over time, the brain starts to interpret the new world that you're in as the, as the world that it needs to refine your eyesight might become more myopic in nature because you're living in a more myopic world. You, you don't have that far sighted nature or need that the brain is like, okay, well, if we're only going to be in this small indoor environment, I'm going to make sure that this small indoor environment is as clear as it can be. <laughs> and, and, and that's what happens. I mean, that's just, that's just adaptation to your environment. It's a, it's a biological, you know, a, a knowledge. And we all know that with evolution, it's what occurs. And so the important thing that people need to recognize is it's so important to take breaks. And the breaks need to be away from your screen, whether it's your mobile phone or your computer screen or or even just the TV that's 10 feet away. You need to break away from this indoor routine every 20 minutes and look at something at least 20 feet away, staring at something that's a you know an actual target, not just into space, but an actual target so that you're accommodating or focus muscles. Can relax themselves and essentially stretch out for 20 seconds, and then what that does is it allows a complete reset of the visual accommodative system, and that prevents the muscles from getting trapped in this near position. Mm. If the muscles are are trapped in this near position, in this near tight contracted state, because it's helping you see up close, it's going to affect your prescription, because the muscles don't want to be in this position uncomfortably. And that's where the brain comes into play. They aim to make sure that you have the most comfortable visual process that you can. And if they recognize that your focus muscles are so focused up close, well, they're going to change the prescription of your, you know, the, the, the optics of your cornea and the shape of your cornea and the retina is going to extend. And, 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 and basically, you know, you, you'll see a, a myopic shift, elongation of the retina, which allows the muscles to relax. So now the eye is in a comfortable state, but you've shifted your vision. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. by taking those breaks every 20 minutes, every, you know, uh, looking at something 20 feet away for 20 seconds, you're going to prevent your own visual system from collapsing on itself and, and shrinking. And it's going to stay strong and it's going to stay long. Uh, so that's, it's important to, to do that for everybody that's listening every 20 minutes i can't say this enough it's a 20 20 20 rule guys very easy. <laughs> every 20 minutes look at something 20 feet away for 20 seconds and it'll be the best thing you can do for your eyes
1: i love that and 20 seconds only because i feel like people think that you got to rest your eyes for like minutes or what, however long and it's like too tedious of a process so
0: that's the thing it's all it's all about laziness uh, if you set a, if you set an alarm clock a timer uh, 20 minutes you know, you do it for a week when you're working for, you know, a long period of time up close or whatever it is, every 20 minutes, it rings, you look up 20 feet, 20 seconds, it's going to, it's going to fly by. You're, you're not going to notice that impact on your, on your work because it's, it's 20 minutes is like a cat nap. You know, people take 20 minute naps and they feel like refreshed for the day. If you yeah. can feel refreshed for the day by a 20 minute nap, imagine what you're doing for your eyes. If you're doing the, just a 20 second, you know, break every 20 minutes so uh it's 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 so important that people recognize what their the effect the environment has on your body um throughout the body but specifically with our eyes right now because of the the way the world is digitally changing um it's going to go a long way to protecting our vision and to to not allow us to devolve you know evolution is important right we want to go the the way or if we're in a certain you know, plane of evolution. You don't want to devolve, and, and right now, I feel like we're at this point where the world is going to shrink in, and I don't think that's evolution. I think, I think where we're at, having the ability to see far and near, is is, a, is appropriate for vision. But I'll show you. I'll tell you this. Here's a little trick. The twenty seconds is so it's so key, and it's so effective. But right now, look at something about twenty feet away. Do this okay. to me. Do this for me right now. Look at something okay. twenty feet away. Okay. Find the target, and stare at that target for twenty seconds. You're going to notice while you're staring at that target. Don't forget to blink, by the way. But while you're staring at that that target, by the end of the 20 seconds, it's going to have cleared up for you. It's going to be sharper the longer you look at it. Tell me if you notice. Are you starting to see it? Yeah. That's literally your muscles elongating, stretching out, and allowing you to perceive that distance vision with a sharp acuity. Cause you're so trapped up close that it, just in 20 seconds, the longer you do it, it'll be even better. But the longer you do it, right. Uh, or just for 20 seconds, even you, you'll notice that. And that's, that's the key. That's well, the I key just feel where...
1: more relaxed.
0: <laughs> it's
1: really powerful. The little things,
0: the little things
1: that, that adds up. And, and they say,
0: I... and they say it helps you ret- retain information too. So, you know, if you're, if you're working on a project or reading a, a textbook or, or studying, whatever you're doing, even 20 seconds of a break allows you to process what you just read and, and it helps you convert it into working memory and then, you know, shorten the long-term memory. So it's important to, for many reasons, but specifically with eyes, there you go. Proof in the pudding for you, John. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love
1: it. I love it. Because normally I, I feel like you have to rest a little bit longer and maybe, again, it all comes down to building the habit. And if you have a timer set, I mean, nowadays we have technology everywhere. Like how hard is it to just punch in 20 minutes? It'll beep, you rest your eyes for a little bit, you come back and you carry on. And I feel like that's something I need to do more too.
0: It, to it will go a long way And you and you can fill me in down the road, you know, I'm not going to bill you for this free consultation here, but <laughs> you can, you, you can, Fill me in later and let me know how that worked out for you. But, you know, the reason you were saying you felt like you needed to do it longer, the reason it doesn't need to be longer is the muscles of the eyes are, are a different type of shape and size, and are long and, and larger muscles in the body. You know, uh, for the legs, for example, you need, you need to do a longer stretch to achieve that same result. You know, oh. they talk about holding a hamstring stretch for two minutes is mm-hmm. the goal. Well, if you have a much smaller muscle, don't have to hold it for two minutes. 20 seconds can do the trick. And at the same time, you know, on the flip side of that, it's your eyes aren't at risk being in a near environment for a short period of time. If it's just 20 minutes, you're doing something, 30 minutes, you're doing something. It's okay. You don't need to worry about a break. Even an hour, you don't have to worry about a break. If you're going to be done after an hour, it's if you're going to be stuck on it all day, eight hours or more, or you're on your phone all the time. That's the, the situation where you need to take those breaks. So
1: got it and to give our listeners our perspective of how far 20 feet is um would it is there a way to properly figure
0: that out I always I always say uh, that typically people like to sit about 10 feet from their TV when they're watching so just okay. double it just okay. double that and so if you huh. if you imagine that you know your TV is about 10 feet away from you maybe 10 to 12 feet maybe a little bit more sometimes less, but double the TV distance and you're going to be around the right ballpark of uh, 20 feet.
1: I love that. And thank you for teaching us how to protect our eyes, especially even nowadays, especially during the special time. It's more than that. Very important for us to, to really look after our eyes. Um, from your point of view, what has been the, the most rewarding thing about, being an opto- optometrist and helping people, what has been the most rewarding thing?
0: Well, for one, uh, being able to say the word optometrist, this is nice. Did uh, I <laughs> it right? Oh, I like, hey, if you think that's tough, you should try ophthalmologist. Or, op- uh,
1: <laughs> or uh,
0: ophthalmology, so there you go. But uh, <laughs> um, don't worry. Hey, listen, uh, I get called a whole bunch of different things. That, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, opto- optometrist, kind of what you said. It's it's the closest to, to optometry than a uh, than a lot of people. Don't worry about it. But yeah, I think I think uh, the most rewarding aspect is is honestly just when people pick up their new glasses and uh, and, uh, and and uh, or you know I I solve their red eye or medical issue whatever they're dealing with and they come back and they healed. Uh it's just honestly that experience with the patient there um, the the thankfulness. The, you know how happy they are to be able to see again or to see clearly or you know to not be in an uncomfortable position or to have their long-standing dry eye issues solved or you know because um, dry eyes are it's a super significant issue right now you know I think about 75% of the world suffers from dry eyes whether they know it or not um, there's an element of dry eyes that exists in about 75% of the world I think so uh, yeah just that experience alone is rewarding and I think it's It's enough to keep me going, um, you know I don't envision myself ever not practicing optometry mm. until I can no longer kind of hold an instrument because of arthritis or something, but <laughs> or I'm no longer making the same impact but uh, yeah i would I would say that's the most rewarding experience and especially with kids i'll tell you that, especially with kids really. The parents and the children are so happy. That the child can see and and, 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 and you know, they are, the parents are happy because the kid is gonna do better in school and and usually I'm like I'm like, you know, shaming the parents a little bit because it'll be like, your son is so blind. Why didn't you bring him in sooner? But, <laughs> 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 but at the end of the day, you're happy that now you know they might be able to have a better chance at school and, and do well because you know when it comes to vision, if you're not seeing well, like a lot of people might think a kid has ADD or ADHD, but it's a misdiagnosis. Oh, there you go. Attention, you know, ties it goes hand in hand with with vision. Uh, mm. If you cannot see or process the information that you're you're seeing, um, you're not going to keep attention. You're not you're you're going to lose attention easily, and, and you're going to be distracted. And, and a lot of teachers, um, you know, lack the the information that when it comes to vision, that they they quickly categorize kids as attention deficit, and and sometimes these kids there are examples out there of kids that actually had visual deficits. Mm. Um, sometimes two eyes that weren't working together, which can be corrected by vision therapy, mm. but there's different reasons for the the deficits that they had. And they were misdiagnosed as ADHD and, and they were put on medication that has now affected them for the rest of their life or a period of their time before it was caught. And some of these are cases are, have never been caught. You've limited the, the mental or the neurological capacity of the brain because of a misdiagnosis or misdiagnosed vision issue. So there's a really important aspect of it when it comes to kids that, uh, uh specifically I love to, you know, I encourage parents to bring their kids in as soon as they can. One year old, uh, one, three years old at the very mm-hmm. early or at the very minimum. Right. So, but yeah, that's, that's, that's it for the the kids
1: and what would, would you say that would be the the biggest the, the biggest misconception that people have when it, when it comes to like their vision versus ADHD what would that be the, the biggest overall misconception that people have about optometry or or what what is it that you see is the biggest misconception or biggest thing that people don't look out for when it comes to their eyes
0: the biggest misconception is is people don't understand the importance of a routine eye exam. Um, Okay. They believe if they're seeing, okay, specifically people who don't have any glasses or don't need glasses because their vision is 2020. They feel that optometry and, and eye exams are only about the ability to see. But what they, what they forget is that it's not just the ability to see, but it's even what we can see going on in your eye in terms of your retinal health and your, you know, your, your corneal health and the integrity of your, your, your ocular structures. The retina is the most sensitive layer of tissue in the entire body. I mean, one of the most sensitive layers of tissue, it's super thin, and it's mm-hmm. full of blood vessels that diabetics are required to get an uh, annual eye exam, and it's covered by MSP. A lot of diabetes uh, centers uh, don't inform their patients of this, and more of them do that now, I, I'm noticing when they practice, but diabetics are covered by MSC because the retina is the first place anybody would ever detect uh, a, a progressing diabetes. Mm. The blood vessels in the retina would start to leak first because of the thin tissue. So you would see the leakages occurring and you'd be able to, to notify the patient that, hey, listen, your sugar is out of control. Mm. Uh, whether this is a person who is pre-diabetic or full-scale diabetic, they need to be under a measure of control with their blood sugar. When blood sugar elevates, it weakens the cell walls of the arteries, and that allows leakages to occur. And you don't see these leakages in any of the organs. Mm. The eye is one organ that we can actually observe without cutting you open. And so Mm. it's so important in that health respect, and people don't get that, uh, but not just with the diabetes, with high blood pressure, with cholesterol. You know, as, as you get older, it's important to get a routine checkup every year to stay on top of these changes that can go through cataracts develop with age, you know, the one period of life that I'd say people can maybe relax a bit more is from the ages of 25 to 35, that 10 year window. Yeah. It's okay. If you, you know, you're a little negligent because your body doesn't, it's really mature and you're at your, your, your adult prime. And so as long as you're on top of your health and yeah, you're fine. But if you're dealing with health issues and you need to come and get your eyes checked because we could be your first line of defense. And, uh, so that's the biggest misconception I have with, uh, with people.
1: That's brilliant. I've, again, I didn't know about that too. I, and Not only, uh, the health benefits of getting your eyes checked, but also for people that don't have any eye issues to, to potentially, find other health issues that that may occur in your life I think that's so powerful and you don't need surgery too so it's like why yeah. the heck not you know exactly <laughs> that's exactly it that's amazing so uh Dr. Taja, I do want to wrap up here I know we had a great talk about your whole journey how you got into optometry uh, your your life experiences obviously uh, a very serious one and and one that was close to heart for you how you got into optometry, some pointers that people need to look out for. Uh, I'm curious to see, you know, what's next? What's your five-year plan? Um, and also tell me a little bit more about, you know, you said you had a podcast going on as well.
0: Yeah, so I'll start with the podcast. Um, it's called The Larchcast. Uh, it's right. a Canucks-based podcast. Uh, we do talk about NFL, fantasy football. As you know, I was a, like a, a jock all my life. And so sports is a big part of my life. I um, lose countless hours talking about it, uh, happily discussing it and debating you know the home team and different teams around the league and different different sports leagues but uh yeah, knowing that it, it was such a passion of mine i and also being in the Vancouver market and and realizing you know especially after I got back from l a and you know coming into the market here in 2014, the team was on the decline, and I noticed that there was a constant negative like bashing of management of ownership all this anxiety and hate pouring out from fans to the team and, and and i'm sitting there and i'm like this is not in the realm of being a fan this is like this is crazy and and i wasn't happy with how much ridicule that occurred in the market for sometimes the smallest things that natural progression of teams you know the ebbs and flows of of, of uh any uh, NHL team, sometimes you had a peak with your prime players, and then you the players get older, and you need to develop a new core, and if you don't have that core developed while your players are your older players are in their prime, then you're going to go through a period of t- turmoil where your team is like the worst in the league, but it's going to allow you to rebuild and draft high, and, and then you can come on the up again, and, and that's what was going on. We had the Sedins that were aging, and the mm-hmm. Sedin core, and Kessler, and BX, and all these guys. Luongo was gone, so our team was you know transitioning from one core to the next but we didn't have another core. so i can't for the life of me imagine why people are were so upset and and crying about this shit every day every every game and every a story here straight there and people chasing like the most ridiculous stories and we're losing sight of the bigger picture which was the game itself the game of hockey it's supposed to be a fun experience uh, it's a sport you can choose to be a fan of this team or that team or any other team or any other league. And if, if it's upsetting you so much to be a fan, then why are you a fan? And people like to say we, people like to say that we're, we're being like, you know, our podcast is, is being cheer cheerleaders, right? We're not cheerleaders. If, if there's a stupid move that was made, we're going to call out the stupid move. We're going to call out management, but we're not going to dwell on it. Yeah. Dwelling on it doesn't do any good your management team is there in place to do their best under the direction of ownership to build a a contending team that can win the cup. Everybody wants that. But if you don't recognize that there's a process and that process goes hand in hand with patience and and in order for perseverance to occur, then you've lost sight of the process and you've now become, it's caught in the cycle of, of, you know, Negativity and, 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 and cynicism and, and the constant state of cynicism is actually not good for your health and, and negativity is not good for your health and your mindset. So, you know, all these things kind of coalesced together for me. And I realized that I could join this niche of fan media, like the voice of the fans, because I'm a diehard Canucks fan. So I had a bunch of friends of mine that were diehard fans. We're part of the section of the Canucks fans called the Larshiders. There's 250 of us. We go nuts eight games a year, raise the energy in the building. The team loves us, the fans in the arena love us. And, and I wanted to extend that into the media side of things because it's, a, it's one of my favorite lines. It's, uh, you know, qui custudiae ipsos custudis in Latin means who will guard the guards. And that's exactly what I feel we're doing as the large cast. Mm. The reporters and Canucks media are holding management and executives accountable who's holding them accountable mm. so that's where i felt maybe media was kind of taking advantage of a market that was so riled up and upset of 2011 the loss that we had and we call, you know traumatized by it and entertainment media they, they they don't they don't they don't want to when they don't care about the team they don't care about you know the cop they, they just want ratings they just want people listening to them and they're they they want their own names out there popular and gaining you know like fans and and, and number you know whatever it is they, they they don't care about the team and and for us as fan media we care about the team we don't want the the noise the background noise causing problems to the point where a team has to make you know a decision on a, a player or an executive uh, because right now there's all this noise about Judd Bracken and people are assuming that he's done and they're maybe right. And it seems like they're right. But the last time I heard about the tea leaves or the writing was on the wall was with Alex Edler and, Mm. and he was on his way out and out of the blue, they signed him to a two year deal. So I feel like people are sometimes losing sight of the bigger picture. And that's all it is. Who will guard the guards? That's what the large cast is trying to do. We're trying to bring back that enthusiasm and passion, you know, to the, for the team, for the sport, for the game. We want people to enjoy the experience and not get caught up in too much bullshit. It's important (laughs) to be critical, but it's important to not be destructive in your criticism. You need to be constructive and and actually it needs to serve a purpose uh, based on your passion and passion. You know, don't mistake passion for anger. A lot of people out there, they like to say, Oh, the market gets angry and riled up because they're passionate. But within passion lies enthusiasm In anger. There's no such enthusiasm. So there is a difference, and, and uh, that's what I'm trying to do personally. The members of the large cast, I mean, you know, Gulu Nanda, Nav Dasanj, Saad Oberoi, um, Manvir Dudwall, uh, two, two new additions, Day, Jay Douglas Aikenhead and, and Tanvir Rana, great guys. All, all share that enthusiasm and passion for the team. And, you know, we're here, we're now, and we're happening. And if you care about the Canucks and you want to hear a, a doctor, an engineer, an entrepreneur, and, you know, a, court, a, a justice official, you know, come together and talk hockey from a logical perspective, more of a philosophical and a logical perspective. Well, that's what the Large Cast is all about. So, love it. I absolutely love it. I was on a passionate rant there. You know, we're <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> all fired up. <laughs> you feel I, it? I, I do feel it. So, hey, John, I, I know you wanted to wrap up anyways, and I got to wrap up too. My daughter's uh, ready to come home here, so uh, go Perfect. ahead and do your wrap up spiel. I'll let you let you finish here, and then
1: uh, all can- right, okay. Um well Dr. Taj, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. And last but not least, you know, where can people find you? Where can people reach out to you? Don't so know more about you. If they want to be a diehard fan, where 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 can where can they find
0: you? Yeah, so if you're if you're into to diehard Canucks talk, uh, uh minus all the bullshit, um listen to the Larsh cast uh on where where you can find us on Twitter. Or Instagram or Facebook and uh, we're also on YouTube so uh, we launched a new YouTube channel just recently um, uh, it's YouTube you know the large cast uh, uh, you can find our recent episodes we had one with Dan Murphy uh, uh, one with Scott Oak uh, who's the host of After Hours on Hockey Night in Canada um, wow. and well, yeah follow us there and if you want to follow my personal Instagram account uh, it's Dr. Tej Dollywall um, Basically, D R T E J D H A L I W A L. Same name. You can find me at Image Optometry on Kingsway. Uh, come in and say hi. Uh, if you came through this podcast, I'd love to give you a little 10% discount too, uh, so you can <laughs> mention that. Why love not? Love it. And uh, for anybody, anybody else out there, yeah, just uh, you know, follow if you want. Otherwise, enjoy your life. No hard feelings.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Taj. Really appreciate you. And uh,
0: no we'll talk soon. Thanks, John. Take care.
1: All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the On The Rise podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The music
0: composition and vocals is done by Graham Best. Your host, of course, is the property shark, Mr. John Lee. Have a wonderful day, and we will, of course, see you next time on our way to the top. Cheers.